Catboy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast. It's Dubai 92, it's Catboy here. Another episode of Catboy Talks Funny. And uh, I've got to get the name right here. From the Self-Drive Laughter Factory. Are we good there? The Self-Drive Laughter Factory appearing uh, throughout September is Stephen Grant. Hello, Stephen. Hello. How are you? Do I say Catboy as a, as a name? Is that- I know. Is it, is it, is it just, are people call you Cat for short or something like that? Whatever. How long have you been Catboy for then? I was in a band in the 90s and the band's name was Catboy. I see. And I was a singer and it just kind of, it developed into a nickname, but not much of a nickname. But then when I got into radio in the late 90s, the guy who took me on said, we'll call you Catboy on air. And I'm like, nah. And it stuck. Mm. And then when I got the job out here in 2004, 2005, a long time ago, I'd already, I'd left the name behind and I was working under my real name. And they said, uh, oh no, let's call you Catboy when you move out to Dubai. And I, at that point I was what, my thirties, early thirties. I'm like, I'm a bit old for this now. So now at my tender age of very similar to yours, mm. I'm still being called Catboy. It's ridiculous. But thanks for asking. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just wondering when you become Catman and when, when does that happen? If it's not happened by now, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Is the it? reason why it's not going from Catboy to Catman is because that cat has had something done to it, which stops. It could be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you know, I was just have considering you cat, that. Have you been castrated? is the question. I've, I've not, but in real life, I was genuinely thinking about this the other day. I had that panic of, I can't have any more kids. You've got kids, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I've been done. Have you been done? I've been done. I yeah. cannot, I cannot uh, give Are you going to recommend it highly enough? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Five stars on TripAdvisor. Absolutely get it done. If you know you don't want to have any more children, the sense of euphoria that that part of the planet procreation has got. I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain in, in certain parts of the world in, in, around here, there, there are, it is frowned upon. Yeah, I don't uh, know what the rules are here, but I know people have it done, mm. you know, and uh, I genuinely, I've got three kids, can't afford them, you know, I have regrets about the kids, the dog, the marriage, everything. Yeah. Love them all, mm. but life was a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm over here right now doing the uh, Self-Drive Laughter Factory tour uh, without any partner, children, pets, or anything. And do you know what I do when I wake up in the morning? I laugh. Go, I go back to sleep. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, like people say. I mean, like Galen Duncan, who, who run the tour, are fabulous people, and and they they say, "Come over, Stephen. The shows are amazing, and the audience is great. We put you up in these fabulous hotels, and you get to enjoy, you know, the 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 buzz and the energy of Dubai. And all of those things are absolutely true. But let me tell you, that heavy set curtain that gets pulled across the hotel window, and that bed. Oh, God, honestly, it's just so good. I mean, may as well be in a tent, but at the same time, what a wonderful experience to not have to do anything with all those dependents. And oh. even with that, even if they were back home, you're not having to do the uh, guilt text to your wife, the guilt text, because you're out here having a good time of, oh, it's all work, you know, and is everything all right at your end? And it must be bliss. Well, I mean, when you said the guilt text there, there was a slight fear as to what you thought I might be doing while I'm over here. No. But the only problem is, and I, this is genuinely a problem, and I know, I know we've got Duncan with us in the studio right now, so I'm kind of, that sounds like a complaint, but it isn't, is that they give you days off. And now in our job, our job is difficult, and, and you wouldn't get paid well and do well with this job if it wasn't difficult. Getting up on stage and making people laugh is tricky. It is harder than acting, and it's, the actors don't like that, but it very much is. Um, but they so when you do 20 minutes work in a day uh, you can tell people there's a lot of preparing there's a lot of rehearsing there's a lot of getting yourself into the correct headspace yeah you know and and, and to some extent that is true but they give you days off 
So it's really hard to then contact a partner back in the UK and say, no, it's been quite hard today, when they know full well that your next show is not for another three days. And, but are you always on? Let me ask, because I was going to get to this later on. Uh, but you gig a lot, you, you know, yeah. big circuit comic. In radio, over the years, I've always had to be on. So everything that happens in my life, now I do a podcast with my wife separately to this, right? Mm. So we barely ever talk in real life. Something will happen, and I, it happened yesterday, we were walking the dog, and I went, oh, you never guess what happened to me earlier. And I went, no, I'll save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast, save it for the pod. Yeah. So, so are you friends. like that with life? To some extent, but what I do is, I mean, the invention of the smartphone has been um, a, a transformative for nearly everybody in this world. But what I will do is, and I will, I will show you now, is I will have a, a list of jokes on the my... The notes app. On, on, no, well, it's, not, it's, it's a kind of... I use the Google Keep because it's okay. silly because I worry about notes and yeah. I won't save it. And every single time I think of something funny. And that, that is... And I'm just... I mean, obviously, this doesn't really work for radio, but I'm just scrolling yeah. up right now and you can see that is just hundreds and hundreds of ideas. And sometimes... If I've got an extra hour free or something like that, I'll look at one of them and I'll um, and I'll just say, yeah, like, for example, here we go. Uh, ingredients used to tell you what's in something. Now they just tell you what's not in it. And it'll be the idea. I've seen something. All right, there'll be a That's joke good. in that. <laughs> and I go off there. And then I've got, and I've got this idea in my head about a routine where you pick up a tin. And it goes, oh, look, it's got no gluten. Oh, no GMO. No palm oil. No, what's in it? I don't know, but I can tell you what's not in it. Yeah. And it's like a massive game of guess who with you flipping things down. You know, like you were yeah. saying, like, has it, has, you know, has it, has it got um, modified ingredients? No. Click, you know, and so there's somewhere in there is a joke. So I will write that down at some point while I'm out and about, and that's how it works. I think the line you said at the beginning works. If people are too stupid to work out anything else, that line just worked for me on its own. I love it. That's because you've got a brain that works. I, the thing is, I'm dealing with people that sometimes not always are completely tuned in. Often they are as well. So, so yeah, getting that wording and that idea right. So it works. So I was going to ask you about, you've been, you're a Dubai veteran, of course. You've been out here several times. Many, many. I was oh. trying to work it out. I think it's over a decade. So yeah. yeah. So have you noticed a change in the Dubai audience? Because yes. the funny thing is, I've known these guys for since I got out to Dubai, which is long t- 20, nearly 20 years ago now. And I used to go right a lot when I first got out here. Then I stopped going for a long time. I've started going again. And I've definitely noticed a change in the Dubai audience. Yeah. Well... There is, there was always an audience here of people who you felt were only going to be here for a, a couple of years, Yeah, you know, because they were on a path and because they got the option and they never thought that this, they would make this their home, but they were happy to live here. And I think the audiences I'm playing to now are much more entrenched, invested, I would say, people who actually care about, well, you see, I'm not saying other people didn't care about the city, but they, but they weren't approaching it as... As a place that they would spend all, all their years, yeah, decades. You know, decades, absolutely. And the nature of how things are changing back in Europe, and especially the UK, means that people don't feel quite so rooted in one place. Yeah. So I find that actually, when I come here now, um, people have spent. There wasn't ten years ago when I came here. It felt like an extended holiday. Yeah. For people. Whereas now it feels like a home that has its own personality and character. I'll tell you what it feels a little bit like. like um, it feels a little bit like the cities of Southeast Asia, like, you know, sort of the, the Hong Kongs and the Macaws and the places like mm. that, which were originally trading posts themselves. And then they became this quite 
quite a successful blend of, of culture, local people and expatriated people. And it kind of got its own personality. And I think Dubai is coming into that into that phase now. It's a very good question you've asked me there, by the way, um, about <laughs> that. I think I think a mixture of the the Emirates own dreams for here, the kind of people who have turned up and also what what makes people want to stay here as opposed to just to have a holiday here is turning is, is changing the personality and and actually because comedy is one of the long standing forms of entertainment for the expat community here uh, there is a small gradual dragging in if you like of people who who come along to watch it not so much because they're huge comedy fans because it's part of the fabric of what the city's about i think it used to be it felt like an expat club you know it used to be like the oil workers things like that it'd be that thing of we're bringing some british comics over all the brits are going to turn up you know it's a scottish comic all the scots are going to turn up to this club night yeah. now when i go seems a lot more multicultural it's incredibly multicultural and i would say on every show that we've done so far this tour british people while they still make up the largest group in the room are never more than half yeah so so you can't pitch to them um because you are pitching to less than half of the audience but you can also if you're if you're sharp enough which you obviously are you, you there's a lot of fun to be had with that lost in translation thing and people who don't. I was at one week, the, the last one I came to, there was a couple down the front. It's, it's, they came in before everyone else and chose to say it right in front of the mic and it was in, in the Studio One. The mic was literally touching them. And I'm like, why in God's name of this out there? <laughs> I will never sit. I sit at the back every time, obviously. Uh, why have you sat there? It turns out they'd never been to a comedy night before and every one of the three comedians just zoned in on them. It was just a beautiful thing to witness, you know. that. <laughs> well, I mean, at, the, at one of the shows that we did already on this tour, we had a Lebanese pilot for MEA, right. Middle East Airlines. Uh, and he was there with his beautiful uh, wife. And obviously the first thing I dig in, I just go, so how long have you been uh, a, a cabin crew? Um, you know, just because of the yeah. fact that he's married to her. And, and, and he goes, and he goes, and then she said brilliantly, she goes, I'm not cabin crew. His girlfriend is cabin crew. Like, this, <laughs> this is his wife speaking as well. And he's got a round of applause from the room. And then at which point I turned to the partner and go, I'll just let you know that your wife wants you to know that that was a joke. And that was not permissioning you in any way to have a girlfriend yeah. to his cabin crew. Uh, and it was great because we, that was a, a, a Lebanese. And then we had, uh, we've had sort of, um, uh, Saudi, Jordanians, Syrians. Uh, I had a, 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 always got a smattering, a smattering of uh, American, South Africans, and Australians, and and you can and it's it's a place where everybody knows a little bit of everybody else's history. So you can make a you can make references to everywhere, and most people get it. And also, people are quite knowledgeable. There is a there is a hunger for world news in this part of the world. Yeah. Um, I think it's partly because this is such an international hub, Dubai, but it's also because there is a, a feeling that here, I feel, that if you don't know what's going on in the rest of the world, you actually kind of, you're, you're not with the programme. Yeah. I think I think other cities in the world will bog themselves down in local issues and, mm -hmm. and tend to ignore the rest of the world. Here, y y I can talk about American political stuff. I can, I can make jokes about Donald Trump. Uh, I can certainly talk about British stereotypes. Everybody recognises them. Yeah, and I think, again, that's the time... You know, if if you'd have been here in the nineties, the internet wouldn't have been as big as it is. People weren't getting the news as fast. This was an outpost rather than now. The world's a smaller place now because of this, and everyone's getting the news at the same time as everybody else. We were talking about this before you came in, and I think it's worth talking about. It was a Queen Elizabeth II's funeral yesterday. 
we were talking about how that's been as a comedian for the last couple of weeks because obviously my job it's changed how I've done my job during the morning period and then we were talking about the QE2 because the, uh, the the official book of condolence has been down there of course and that's been massive mm. um so how's i mean you you've is this been your most famous tweet of all time no no i've had some i've you've had, had some, some belts I've, I've had some i've had some ones that have been i've had some ones that people have written international articles about which is a comedian must be gold well it isn't isn't because sometimes it's because the joke went wrong and yeah. uh, and other times well, the the one that got written about internationally was it was it was the most stolen joke of one year, and it was about um, it was a really basic joke, and actually it's totally broadcastable, okay. which is good news because you're about to ask me if anyone. I'm about to pause it. it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and that was to say, um, and it was you know when Hugo Chavez died, right? Okay, it was uh, was he the um, leader of which is, I can't remember which Central American or South American country it was. Um, might have been Venezuela or something okay. like, that, like that. Hugo Chavez died, and he goes, and I went devastated by the death of Hugo Chavez to celebrate his life. I've had his initials inscribed on my taps. Very good. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay, yeah. and then back then, how has that become an international article? Because people started cutting and pasting it and passing the tweet off as their own. Right, and. It, it it started to happen by quite a lot of people who were quite well known. So obviously I so I wrote a version of the joke that didn't really work um, early it's sort of like late in the evening. Right. The thing about Twitter is it's 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 a you know it's a it's a, it's a mechanism in itself. So I know full well as a as sort of like a, a professional Twitterer that you should do this between eight thirty and nine when people check their phones before they yeah. get to work, or when they get into work and they're bored and don't want to start yet. Right. So that eight thirty to nine thirty time is is Twitter peak time. So I thought, okay, this is quite a good joke, but I haven't written it correctly. I've got to shrink it down and get it right, and then write it the following morning. Yeah. So I wrote it the following morning. Whoosh! Off it went. You know, as soon as it gets retweeted by a few famous people, then suddenly you know you've got half a million people looking at it, and then it just spreads, 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 spreads. But a lot of people would start passing stuff off their own because a lot of people at that point, in the same way as with Instagram, you'll see lots uh -huh. of you'll see of what I call aggregation accounts where people go, oh, I'll find funny stuff from loads of other places to put it together, give them a credit, and we'll build up the numbers. Yeah, and there's people who make a living out of that because then they every now and again they'll do an advert and they've got you know um, five or six million. Um, followers and so therefore you know that was what happening was Twitter about 10 years well you know yeah. when it was because it was when Hugo Chavez died you have to google it so this is when that tweet happened um, and um, and I wrote a little piece about the the anatomy of of joke theft mm. because realistically you could trace it because you could just look at the time and you could see who they followed sure and I you could see this. right well that's the whole point and then it became a little bit of like uh, I'm um, I'm Spartacus and then people would what would happen was when someone stole a joke to show the fact they stole a joke they would do my Hugo Chavez joke I saw joke. this I'm sure I saw this because people were admitting it big comics were admitting that they'd yeah, that's right. reposted it rather than it was their own yeah but some people were passing it off as their own and then people were talking about credit and it just it, it, it was the tipping point of people going like I'm fed up with people stealing jokes and of course there's a, a, a there's a whole movement that says well nobody owns jokes well if nobody owns jokes when someone writes it then they're not doing it for free they're obviously yeah. automatically doing it for free so we're not getting to that argument because literally it took forever um, but the reality of it is is it was the tipping point of it so that one that, that tweet literally changed I had somebody from Twitter contact me and saying like this because I mentioned that because I put in my article because there is they were actually covered by certain Cuban conventions to do with the automatic copyright of 
the of a creator. Yeah. You know, if I go off and paint something incredible, I don't have to put a copyright signal in the corner that if someone else does it, that they're, they're ripping me off. It's it's you, you automatically own the right to an original piece of work when you create it. And it was me saying, well, I do believe a tweet on. You might think back then it was only 140 characters. You'd, you'd think. 140 characters, surely you can't own that. Well, let me tell you how many permutations there are of that. And so therefore, my particular version of it is a piece of art, whether you like it or not. And if anyone, if anyone copies it, then it is, is theft and it's copyright theft. Someone from Twitter actually contacted me. And, then, and actually, it started the process by which they, um, two things happened. First of all, you could retweet without having to put the name of the person who's retweeting on top. What happened before yeah. with Twitter is if it went over a certain number of characters, it would get rid of it. And secondly, they put actual software in to check to see if people were stealing things so they could warn them because they would know the fact that it's been used elsewhere and it appeared highly. So it kind of, I actually, I wrote a tweet that changed Twitter. And that was quite it's a big claim. It is. And, and when I say that, it's a little pompous. Uh, but here I am in the world of Dubai yeah, where own it. self-belief where self-belief is positively celebrated. And so therefore, I will if do you want to move to Dubai, what you have to say is, I have the world record for changing Twitter. Oh, well, I think other people have possibly could, could argue that as well. But realistically, that was, yeah, and, and you may have seen it, but that's, that's an so, interesting claim to throne, but that's mine. So back to this more recent tweet, which I think, I want you to read out because I think it's perfectly fine. Um, but the problem at the moment is if you stick your head above the parapet during what has been an official morning period, I, I, when we were talking off air, I said... Um, I've been genuinely upset, and people have heard this on air. I got genuinely upset about the news, and I've been, you know, yesterday I watched the funeral, got very upset at that. But also, I've enjoyed the humour because, and I think, I don't want to say that's intrinsically British because I'm sure people around the world have that as well, but it does sometimes feel like a British trait to be able to, you know, laugh in the face of misery. And let's face it, there aren't many people who are as miserable as the British. Mm. So, you put a tweet out, read your tweet out for us. All right, so I this was I wrote this at what have we been sort of uh, two o'clock in the afternoon here, so that would have been sort of uh, just five minutes past two, so it would have been five past eleven. So it literally been five minutes after the the the, the funeral officially started. It was eleven. So this is your only yesterday. This is yesterday. Oh, I thought this had gone a few days ago. No, right? No, 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 no. Okay, no. This, so you this, wrote no, this I wrote yesterday. This, I wrote this yesterday, and I, it was five minutes into the funeral, and I'm, I'm watching it on BBC News in my hotel room, and I thought, yeah. how can we British organise something this gargantuan and wonderful so impeccably? yet fail to renew a passport in under 12 weeks. And, and it's, it's perfect. And it's just a little bit of kind of, look how great Britain is. Also, let's not forget just how appalling Britain can be. And and of course, everybody's sensibilities are on top, on high alert. So even though that, that but bear in mind, I have actually said that the, the state funeral is, you know, wonderful and impeccably executed. So yeah. there, there is no punching down there there's no sneering there's no negativity it's just saying let's have a look at the spectrum of capabilities of british people which by the way the vast majority of british people are happy to admit and almost are vaguely proud of you know the fact that we are you know made responsible for at one point an empire that covered one fifth of the globe and still can barely make taps that mix hot and cold water together (laughs) um you know and you watch a french or german person use a british sink uh, and realise that they've got two choices, freezing their hands or burning them. Scalding themselves, yeah. exactly, yeah. with no opportunity to mix the two together. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and you sit there and you think, did, did, this, did this country genuinely run 20% of the planet at some point? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So his tweets like that, putting bums on seats at your gigs in the UK, do you think? Does, it's got to have, a, 
you seem to be a comedian who is treading that line between, I hate using the word cancel because I kind of don't believe in it, but the, you know, there's that line of it's selling you tickets, but also being borderline offensive. Well, I'll... And this I'd, love is big say, I'd love to say it's true. It is the case, and I think it probably was the case about ten years ago, when people didn't know about you, and this is how they found out about you, and then it would equate into coming to see you live. But I think the the honest answer is no. I think what it does is it it establishes you as having credentials. Yeah. Um, the sad fact is is that your social media content is now your profile and your CV rather mm. than your shop window. It doesn't tell you people how funny you are. It tells people who you are. Yeah. And quite often people look at it from a point of view of, is there any reason why I wouldn't like this person? Yeah. Which is why when people get employed in sort of high profile public roles, uh, they, they employ like a social media consultant to absolutely harvest everything they've ever posted since they were 17 to remove anything and everything that could have some kind of negative denigration. There was a, a brief period, by the way, in, in the UK when they started having SARS, like nightclub SARS yeah, and, yeah, remember, and yeah. drug SARS and street SARS and kind of you know, everything and anything to do with uh, the positives and negatives of, of British culture and crime and everything like that. And then what they would do is they'd employ people who, who didn't have official backgrounds, who were kind of normal people like, mm -hmm. like us. Uh, and then, and then, of course, some bright spark would then plough through their social media history and, and, and see they said something sort of offensive or, you know, untoward when they were 17. And then these people would lose their jobs. And so there is there is a huge element of social media now that is not there to give you work, uh, but actually, if done wrong, will lose you work. Um, however, because I've been doing this job for over 25 years, what it does for me is it gives me that credibility within the industry. Yeah. So I not only perform, but I also write and direct for some of the big, biggest comics in yeah. the UK. Um, and that regular output, which they all follow and sometimes retweet, is a constant reminder to them that I'm... I'm You're still I'm, here. You're available. Still and, 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 I'm a, <laughs> and I'm a sharp brain in comedy that is constantly turning out content uh, because, you know... <laughs> That without those social media outlets, um, you you run the risk of being the most um, fatal thing of all in our industry, which is anonymous. Yeah, I mean, I think it cuts both ways because I've started following comedians that I didn't particularly know much about or were particularly interested in. And through Twitter, I have found him to be a lot more engaging than I ever thought. And it's, you know, the names, but they're just names I weren't bothered about before. And now I'm really into them. I'm finding them on podcasts. I'm trying to watch them on telly. Yeah. You know, I love that side of it. But you can also find out, uh, you know, I mean, I used to like Right Said Fred singles. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> more recently, you know. Well, I mean, and Right Said Fred themselves have some moderately questionable views in the world of politics and so forth but but the reality is is that is is actually um you know who you like and who you follow uh will also be a part of how people sort of judge you in a cycle and then another thing has happened in the last three or four years is that if you you like like myself you know you work in media so it's important that you have a presence on all platforms yeah but every, i hate it <laughs> but every platform has its demograph yeah and that demograph quite often is an age band. Of course. And, you know, the, 
there are the the the, the you've probably interviewed numerous uh, sort of pop and kind of media stars who've, who've come from Dubai and they've, they've they've plugged their social media at the end. They're not plugging Facebook. No, they're not plugging Facebook because they're not on Facebook. Facebook is there for a much older generation. Why is Facebook there for the older generation? Because they were there first. Yeah. So people have grown up with it. My parents are never going to delete Facebook because they've got 15 years of photos on mm. there of everywhere they've ever gone. That would be literally like taking, you know, 20 albums off their shelf and throwing them in the fire. They're not going to get rid yep. of them. However, no one's expected to maintain a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitter, a TikTok and a YouTube channel, mm. except for people like us who do it in our industry. And we will always automatically gravitate to the one that suits us and suits our friends. So for me, yeah. that is Twitter, but it ages me. And I watch people my age, because they need to, start TikTok channels. And let me tell you, TikTok is a great social media platform, but you have to be good at TikTok. And it's hard because yeah. when you, I'm on, I was not forced. I had my arm up my back to join TikTok maybe six months ago. Yeah. Right. I've had one video that has gone stratospheric, three million, you know, views, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't know what to, I've not put anything on for a couple of months because I just don't know what to put on it. No. But it's the, it's funny how it shifts because now you would think Instagram was for young people, but now Instagram's not any, Instagram's for millenniums, millennials who are no longer de rigueur. Yeah. It's TikTok. But yeah. now TikTok, I, and I was on holiday in the UK, funnily enough, now I'm reading, oh, you've got to be on Be Real. Be Real's the new TikTok. People aren't even doing TikTok anymore. You've got to be on Be Real. No, I joined Be Real three days ago. Right, so I've been on it since the summer. And again, I love it. I ain't got a clue what I'm doing and it's not raising my profile in the slightest. No, and it's because people, it suits the people. And, and you know, um, the thing is, TikTok is, I'm going on this date. Instagram reels are, I'm, go, I'm, uh, I'm, go, I'm, I'm getting engaged, yeah. right? Okay. Twitter is, okay, I've just had a child. And Facebook is, I'm getting divorced. Can anyone recommend a lawyer? Yeah. All right, okay. So, I mean, that's, that's where we are in the spectrum. Yeah. And, and Be Real was designed for everybody because it's there and then, you know, but it won't be. It will find its demographic. And yeah. if you're lucky, you're on. And if you're not, you're on. It's like that film, was it, was it uh, 48 Hours Later, whatever, that one where the world suffers ecological disaster. Right. And there's that, that, that built, that, that uh, that boat, which is like the ark, and if you make it on, you get to be part of the new world. And don't every time I join a social media, I feel like I'm one of those people queuing yeah. for a modern day ark to see if I can be part of the whole new world order. And every single time, I think, no, I, I think I'm going to be left off. And every time one comes up, I think I've got to get my username. I'd, I'm not going to use it, but I'm going to get my username just Same. in just in case it becomes big. But do you put on as Catboy? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Is is there other Catboys out there? Do, well, there is a car- there is a Disney cartoon character now called Catboy that came about after my... Uh, and you know when you were talking about copyright? Uh, so I've been Catboy since the late 90s. Yeah. This Disney character came around, I think, about 10 years ago. It's on that PJ Masks thing. Catboy is one of the characters in PJ Masks, yeah. Catboy is one of the characters. And I had somebody contact me, and it was a Disney fan site, and they were contacting me, why you shouldn't be calling yourself Catboy, blah, blah, blah. And I'd, I just rounded it. it was on, I think it was on Twitter. I went public with it, and I went, how about I sue you and Disney? Because I was Catboy before Disney was Catboy. There's got to be something in that for me, surely. I, I, I believe they have, 
huge levels of legal representation. In what are you saying compared to me? I, I, I just, I'm just thinking. Even though you may have the moral high ground here, Catboy, if I was to have to put my money on one particular group, I'm sorry. And I know we've struck up a brilliant friendship over the last 15 minutes. But it's going to be Disney. There are newspaper <laughs> articles and stories about me going back to the 90s with this name. So there's, like you said about the Twitter stamp of time approval of your joke. You watch a room full of people in grey suits take all of those news clippings and put them in the inadmissible bin. If Disney are listening, this is what I want, right? I don't want you. To, I don't want the recognition that I was first. I don't care anything about about that. Just give me a check and I'll change my name. I don't care. Well, you know, in the world of comedy, there's actually a story in which that actually happened. Really? Well, Glee. You know the TV show Glee. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a comedy. There's club a Glee network, club. Glee club in the, yeah. in the UK, and Glee. The the, the uh, I think it's Warner Brothers or Disney I can't remember who right. make it or whatever sent a cease and desist to the Glee Comedy Club saying you can't call this called the Glee Club yeah Glee Club's part of this and of course the Glee Comedy Club has been around since uh, for a time anyway their owner is brilliant belligerent and actually does have funds in the bank and said nope I'm fighting this there's absolutely no way I'm changing my name whatever and won it took them a year and a half but they they financially got a payout for it as well and so they covered all their costs and all of it so it can be done see there's one thing I'm I'm belligerent and I got I'm gobby and all that sort of thing yeah. and I'm fun and I like the challenge I just don't have the funds yeah I think I think I think I think having to turn to your family and say look we're going to move into a caravan now because daddy's got some mission because I was the win. first cat boy. Yeah, because I need to. I need to tell. I need to tell <laughs> millions of PJ. Uh, you know, um, PJ Masks fans that their cartoon is a slight on my professional character. Yeah. And the last thing I need is a small subsection of people in the Dubai area being confused as to my own identity. Before that thing came out, by the way, if you Googled Catboy, I was what came up. For a long time, right. I was what came up. Well, let me tell you about... Throughout the noughties. Let me tell you about Stephen Grant and the time I was knocked off. Now, because I used to work in IT, it's right. quite good I managed to get hold of the domain. So StephenGrant.com, spelled the P-H, is me. Uh-huh. The guy who owns StephenGrant.com, by the way, with a V, uh, regularly forwards emails sent to him by mistake to me, which is lovely, yeah. with a little comment on the top about the job. So every now and again, someone will send a message to StephenGrant.com and he'll forward it to me and he'll say, hey, Stephen, someone's looking to try to book you for three days in Florida. This looks great. I'll definitely do it. He sounds a bit dodgy, though. Hope you enjoy the gigs. So he reads all my mail, adds a comment about it and then forwards it to me. It's, it's wonderful. It's genuinely wonderful. But anyway, Stephen Grant, I've been number one on that because I know my world way around the world of IT. I've owned the domain for over, you know, 12 years since whatever it came out. Uh, um, but I was knocked off the number one position thanks to a Stephen Grant in the US who um, murdered his wife, went on television saying she's gone missing, please can someone find her, without everyone knowing, and then chopped her up, put her in a box and went on the run. And then he was he was caught live on national television, a helicopter chasing him across a snowy field. That kind of PR knocks off a comedian from Brighton, I can tell you, for that for nothing. This is going to get awkward now because I thought that's who you were. That's why I got <laughs> you in. <laughs> anyway, all I can say is she deserved it. Thank you, Dubai 92. <laughs> lovely, lovely having you. No, no, so genuinely though, uh, it's um, uh, I, I have people, Americans, oh my God, sometimes they just can't work out, send me messages saying, how, how dare you do that? I'm going, look, I'm, I'm a comedian from Britain I think you've got yeah. the wrong person yeah look at me Twitter You'll... <laughs> so, one thing I wanted to ask you is because you like you said if if you listed you're well known in, in the comedy world of course like that and people are going to see live comedy but you're not yeah. I wouldn't say you're a household name no, and no, I'm not and being probably offensive ne- and probably never will be I watched a documentary the other day, which has just come out about Ian Cognito. Again, as I said that, I know that 90% of people listening 
won't have a clue who that is. The Joe, he, do you watch the Joe Ball documentary? It's about an hour and a half or something like that. It's, it's, the, the new documentary I've watched. Yeah, I think they've, they've done a re-edit of it that's down to about an hour, but the original one that won I watched a, an hour and a half one, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that's the one that won an award and not the rest of it. Yeah. It's long, but it's brilliant. Now, this is a guy who's been a gigging comedian since, I think, the early 90s, maybe even long, but it, he's, yeah. you know, and he's sadly, very sadly, it's called Life and Death on Stage, and he died on stage. He died on stage, yeah. And there's a big discussion in that about... Um, how he says he never wanted to do television, but a lot of the comics on it are saying, well, he never got offered television because he was a risque comedian. Yeah. Uh, and he had that sort of carried a bitterness around with him. Yeah. Are you, have the, have the aspirations changed since be, since when you got into comedy and you thought, well, this is going to be the route I take, I'm funny, I'm going to do the circuit, I'm going to go to get on the television, I'm going to be Michael McIntyre, whatever. Right. You know, has your aspirations changed over the years? Well... Okay, so I'm going to say something that I think you personally will be able to really not only identify with, but recognise. So you're roughly the same age as me, yeah. and you've been doing a job that involves being in the public eye, or ears more specifically, yeah. roughly as long as me. Okay. Um, aspiration is what got us here. That yeah. dream and belief that we could do something out of the ordinary that a lot of people want to do, but only a few people can do. So aspiration is good because it gives you drive, it gives you vision, it gives you purpose, and it gives you the tunnel vision you need to get something, which unfortunately goes hand in hand with other parts of your life falling by the wayside. Mm -hmm. However, ambition, which is different from aspiration, yeah. is the thing that pushes you once there already. And you need to have a... Uh, you need to have reins on ambition because it will only ever make you unhappy if all you're doing is looking at the position above you thinking, I want that. I yeah. don't want what I've got now. I want it above. And I don't think there was an epiphany moment. I think it dwindled out over time. But I think the reining in of ambition was important because it makes you unhappy to be constantly not happy with the position that you're in. Yeah. Definitely have aspirations to push yourself on. But also... Take a moment to be in the moment. Okay. Oh, God, I sound like I'm, I'm giving no, this. No, I'm because, giving, to, no, to sit back and look at what you've got. Look at everything around you. Be happy with your life. Be happy what's around you. Because, because actually, in comedy, I know some people with big ambitions. And they're mostly younger than me. And they push and they work. And I can sniff, because I've been doing this for a quarter of a century now, who is going to make it and who isn't. Okay? Yeah. But it is not down to the level of ambition or aspiration. It's about two things. It's about talent and identity. Right, yeah. And talent is the thing that will stop you from being found out as being a fraud when you get there. Because you can get there and then not have the talent and you, will, and you will go very quickly. And identity is about being something unique that people in the world haven't seen yet. Yeah. And if you try to fake that, you will then be a fraud and you'll be found out. So if you've got that unique identity and you've got that talent, you will get there. You need enough ambition that you make the effort, but you don't need so much ambition that if it doesn't happen, you beat yourself up about it. And actually, you're asking me whether I would like to go on to be huge and big and all the rest of it. Yes, of course I would like to do. Have I now shaped my life in the constant tunnel vision pursuit of that? Absolutely not. Yeah. I love cycling. Uh, I love climbing. Uh, I love cooking. Uh, I love spending time with my children. I'm quite into Japanese classic cars, right? Okay. All of these things get a little part of my time. And the reason being is because I've got to be in the moment. Because if all I did was chase one goal with every single bit of my energy and didn't get it, it doesn't matter that I'm really good at this job and I really enjoy it. I would have felt like a failure. So it's so important. And you work in this station and you will regularly see young guns enter the corridors here with their huge... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> honestly, what do they know? Listen to Grandad. But no, but genuinely, and you'll see them, and you'll see that drive, and you'll be able to recognise bits of yourself in them. You'll be able to recognise other people you know that have gone on to be huge, and you'll just go, hey, right, I know where you're coming from. I know where you're going. But you'll also see people who have huge amounts of talent who will be unhappy. Yeah. What an awful thing to do, to be given all of these skill sets and not translate it into having a great life. It's so funny because I interviewed Callum Scott, who's, he was on Britain's Got Talent, now he's a big pop star. He's from Hull, he's a lovely guy. I only interviewed him last week. And he said exactly the same thing about, you've got to stop and look at where you are in that moment and what you've got and how far you've come. Stop thinking about the being Elton John yeah. and start, you know, and... Uh, it's funny that you just, you pretty much said exactly the same. I think you also gave us your Tinder profile then when you told us everything you're into. Hey. <laughs> I like Japanese cards. I like uh, yeah, cooking. I like yeah, climbing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's GSOH. Only, yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, <laughs> and here and here a list and here a list of my strange kinks. No, I mean genuinely, <laughs> I, it's um, I I, yeah, I don't I don't have a Tinder profile by the way, and I never have. I just would like to make out if anyone's now looking for me, please just find me on Twitter and stuff. I'm there. Yeah, you've I'm heard there what he likes. Look him up. <laughs> but. No, I think I think the answer is is to whether the ambition, whether the uh, the aspiration and the ambition is still there. Yes, it is, but it is curtailed such that if it doesn't happen, then it then 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 in no way am I going to walk around feeling bad about it. And of course, you are competitive; it's naturally human to do that. But when the people I work alongside go on to be huge, and that happens a lot in our industry, I'm pleased for them. And and actually, I work in a really nice industry. There is there is a lot of competition. There's a lot of desire to be at the top. And some people can be jealous. But, um, I mean, Jason Manford came over to Dubai recently, and I think the Laughter Factory look after Molly's here yeah. as well. You know, during lockdown, a lot of us didn't work comics. Now, I'm okay, I'm quite successful, and also I did quite well online as well. So, you know, like I could ride that out. Other people couldn't as well. When Jason came back, he made sure that he brought loads of comedians, good comedians on tour with him, comedians with low profiles, mm. but high quality, so people could enjoy them, so they could earn money, and so that people could be brought out of the doldrums. We're a very supportive community. In comedy. Is there now when you talk about that, are there a lot of big comics who do that? You know, who who bring people up like that and help people survive? Because it is I my favourite podcasts are comedy podcasts. I love Chatterbix with David Earl and uh, Joe Wilkinson. I love Richard Herring's podcast. Richard Herring, you can almost he bleeds bitterness sometimes when he's talking about his comedy past, but I love him, you know. And um, so, so let's just pick some examples there. David Earl uh, lives uh, in Cookfield, uh, is a village in Sussex, yeah. and um, he puts on shows there every once in a while because people want to see him. And what he does, he gets in people who are big names, but he also reaches out to comics who aren't very well known so they can play to that audience because that's just the thing you do. Joe Wilkinson, Joe Wilkinson puts on New Material Night once a month on a Monday, which is, is actually his wife organises. Yeah, uh, and. Anybody and everybody can get on in that and you get to perform with Joe. So there's always a full audience and it's just something he does because you always want to give back. Who's the next person you mentioned? Richard Herring. Richard Herring. Richard Herring. I appeared on the uh, uh, Leicester Square Theatre podcast live. Rehearsed uh, uh, <laughs> uh, And And um, that was at the, the Old Market in Brighton. That was in front of all these 220. And I talked about my cycling podcast called The Cyclist Pod. It's the biggest, not, uh, biggest leisure cycling podcast in Europe. Um, I haven't done it for a year and a half because the, the, the host I was doing it with is actually hugely susceptible to COVID and so therefore it's basically been in isolation. Uh, but it's coming out of it now, thankfully. Um, and, you know, that doubled my podcast numbers. John Bishop takes two support acts on tour tour. Jason Manford takes the support acts on tour. Sarah Millican gives her writing jobs to different comics all the time so everyone can do it. It is 
absolutely a community in a way that I've never seen. Because it didn't used to be like that. There used to be a lot of bitterness in green rooms up and down the country. Well, that bitterness came from the old circuit. I yeah. think the old circuit where there was there was the li- there was the working men's clubs into the live circuit into television. Okay, and the idea was is there was a very sh- narrow funnel through which you could pass to be that person. Mm. Because of social media, because of self-generated video, because of Patreon, because of podcasts, there are now so many different avenues to find your audience and to find an income. Robin Ince is a person that only geeks in comedy will know about. Robin Ince... Um, Did a great book. He's, he's written, some, great written, book. written some great books, uh, and he, but he was he was like me. He was a television warm up. Yeah. He was one of the people who wanted to warm up the audience before the recording. He would do uh, two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, which was a BBC sitcom uh-huh. from Big about show. 10, 15 years ago. Uh, this way, and he would be the, the warm up for that. And I did the warm up for actually I did some fairly high profile ones. Like, what show did you do? I was going to. I did. I did QI. Did nearly all of those. Hey, that's a tough audience. That's going to be a tough audience. I did the first series of um, Deal or No Deal before it became huge. Joe and David are going crazy about you. They they must have talked about you. I'm sure they've mentioned your name because they've just recently been having people who've been on Deal or No Deal. You should you should get in touch with them because they are going crazy on Deal or No Deal. Uh, and well, Joe, I know Joe Wilkinson quite well because when he moved house, he didn't have enough boxes and he put it out to say, has anyone got any boxes? I, I recently moved house and he drove to my house and he collected, <laughs> he collected all the boxes. And um, uh, and it was quite funny because I have people working in my house right now and then, and then someone shouted down and says, Stephen, there's someone at your front door. It's the bloke who does Dictionary Corner on Celebrity <laughs> Countdown. <laughs> and then I had to go and take the boxes to him. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked slightly here. but um, the uh, It's so interesting, though. The, the yeah. thing with so, so, is- so Robin Ince, Robin Ince is doing a tour with, uh, what's the name of the famous scientist guy who used to be a pop star? Um, the guy who talks like that, his name is Professor Brian Cox. Brian Cox, that's right. So <laughs> I went he, a bit too camp then. He, He's not quite. Professor <laughs> Brian Cox and him are doing a, a kind of a, a, a tour, a science tour, in yeah. huge venues, all the rest of it. And then everyone comes out of it going, that guy was brilliant about, about uh, Rob... Um, and and um, and he's not been on mainstream TV. No, right? You know, he was on with Ricky. He did Ricky Gervais took him around on tour and used to pick on him on on videos. Yeah, a little bit as well, you know. But I know Ricky quite well as well. And and you know and um and so there's there's that reaching out. Like for example, Kerry Godleman is a friend of mine who I write for as well. When I used to go around to a house to write, we would sit in the Gervais wing because <laughs> she worked on Derek. You know, she Which was the one character in Derek. And the money she got from that allowed her to build an extension so that she could... Because previously she was, having to do a write, she was having to do a write, she was having to do writing in her in her kids' one of her kids' bedrooms. So we would sit in the Gervais the wing. The Gervais wing, I the love The Gervais that. wing of her house. And it was like, by the way, it was like a little semi-detached terrace in the, in, in South London. But, but but they took the little driveway to the garage and, and built over it as well. And then that became the Gervais wing. So, yeah, the, it's an incredibly supportive industry. That's doesn't great mean to hear. It doesn't mean that everybody gets on with everybody. But there is a... I won't say a requirement, but there is a moral obligation to pull the people up from beneath you because every single person who is earning millions doing brilliantly has at some point been sat on a overnight megabus in Britain because they couldn't afford the train to go yeah. to a gig, paying £8.50 and looking at a sandwich in a shop going, if I buy that, I've earned less from doing this show than I have. It's and costing me money. To- <laughs> exactly, it's costing me money to do the show. So, so it's... Um, yeah, there's it's that uh, that camaraderie has carried us through the last few years, and it's also made the industry a much more supportive uh, and healthy place to be. So yeah, seeing people talk about, I mean, obviously, 
everybody suffered in some way or another, not just the illness, but the way that uh, industries suffered. But seeing musicians, the way musicians came together, the way comedians, and they all suddenly, they started talking about something that you don't normally hear them talking about. You hear them doing the patter or you, you, you hear them selling the shows, but you don't hear anything personal, I don't think. Suddenly to have all of that out there and hearing about, do you know what I loved was Louis Theroux's diary on, um, I would never expect Louis to do a corporate. He seems to me to be too highbrow to do corporate gigs. And yet in his diary of COVID, he was talking about doing corporates. And I'm like, who's booking Louis Theroux? For? I, I can see why someone book, would book you for a corporate. Louis seems a weird, a weird sell for a corporate. But hearing about people who seem like megastars and would never have to do anything like this doing it, have you had uh, Duncan? I'm looking. Have you had Zoe Lyons over here as well, yeah. many years ago. Okay, yeah. Zoe Lyons is a phenomenal comic. She's, she's got her own. Um, she's got her own a game show now on a Saturday. She's on Frank evening. Skinner's show a lot. So, I love yeah, that. She's brilliant. And um, so during the lockdown, um, she became a delivery driver. She had nothing else. She yeah, had nothing to do. And 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 we're going spare. Trying to, and they're climbing the warms. Um, uh, there's uh, Lauren Patterson, a brilliant comic who's nominated for the uh, Edinburgh Comedy Award this year. Uh, move, had to move out of London couldn't afford to live in her flat anymore moved back in with her mum and dad and then got a job working in the cafe at Morrison's she's done Live at the Apollo yeah you know you know, Live at the Apollo is is the, the number one television show for stand-up comics in the UK and it pays a five-figure sum to be on it but she was there wiping tables and trays you know to keep going because our industry just was surgically removed from yeah. from the world which is why it's great that live comedy is back and why... It even is, but we, get, we would get people back into the habit of going to see it and, and that's the thing. And, and actually, it's come back in some ways healthier because the people who kept going by doing Zoom gigs and all of a sudden, yeah, Zoom gigs weren't ever as good as the live experience, no. but they kept sharp and they kept writing and they kept focus and people hit the ground running when they came back. Yeah. And comedy from the point of view of the art and the content is in a way better place. And get me wrong, right? If you're one of these people who's been coming to the Laughter Factory for the last 10 years, you'll remember some of the shows where the numbers were outrageous, went out the mm -hmm. doors, right? you know, back, back in the heyday of there being, you know, far larger sort of like uh, expat community with a much more sort of transient base to them there's a lot more things people to do and so that that audience is much more sort of keener and um and sort of focused but not as big as before but the quality of the shows is just greater and greater and greater and greater and that's the thing the actual art itself has never been in a better place the industry is fighting to stay alive yeah and that's why i evangelize about the laughter factory because i've known these guys for so long but you also get it's not three British comics. Sometimes you, you get a Canadian, you get a Puerto Rican, you, you, you get someone just from all over the way, South African mm. comedians. And I love that. And I love that as a comedy lover, I can go along. Well, I would highly recommend uh, going in a right at the moment because <laughs> it, is, it is just purely for uh, commercial reasons. But um, because... Right now, the cost of flights, as people will know in this in the Emirates, uh, is starting to go up and up and up and up. A lot of that yes. is aviation fuel, obviously, as well. So we're on the last vestiges of uh, acts being flown over specifically from the US to perform here. Yeah. Uh, very soon, the costs of those flights will make that prohibitive. So you absolutely have to get down there now because you're going to see acts that you're probably not going to see here for maybe years. It's going to be a lot of Bahrain shows, just a lot of people uh -huh. flying, <laughs> Bahrain comedians. I don't know how big their circuit is. Um, okay, the bar, the, yes, the, uh, the, the bar any comedy circuit as you hey, never know hey, hey guys that's souk what am i talking about eh? <laughs> hey? it works over here um right look 
that was amazing. Thank you. Great chat. I could I could just go on because I, I love it. But I want to do a couple of things with you that I do with everybody. Now these, the the first one is called simply the best. You know what I'm doing here. I ask you some best questions. Yeah. These questions have been generated by comedians I've had in. Uh, do you know, I was going to ask you about podcasts because you just mentioned your cycling podcast. Yeah, it's called the Cyclist Pod, yeah. It seems everyone who comes in now, Dom Jolly came in a few weeks ago when he was out here. He's like, oh yeah, I'm starting a new radio show on Jack FM. Paul Tonkinson came out. All he talked about the entire time he was in. Running? Running podcast. Yeah. Very little on the comedy. And a right, lot you, mean, the... you mean running commentary with the one he does with Rod yeah. Deering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. And I actually it's listen a, to it. It's a really hard listen at first because they make it while running. It is. So at first you're like, I can't listen to this. And then it's okay. And then it's all right. Isn't it weird? Because when you got in here and got on the mic, you gave me your levels. You've, done, you've obviously done this a million times. We got the levels checked and everything like that. When I had Paul coming in, I've worked with Paul in the UK a long time ago. When I had him coming in, I thought I'll ever listen to the podcast. I look at me, I don't run. But let's see what it's about. Two two very funny guys. Can't be bad. I put it on in my car. I nearly crashed my car because it is so bad to listen to. But I said to him, it's almost like when you've got a ticking clock in your bedroom. It drives you mad for the first half an hour and then you don't hear it anymore. Or, or you've got Big Ben outside your room if you're lucky enough. You know, you don't hear it. It, it suddenly the the feet and the breathing. It's the breathing. It's a. He melts away. I can't think of nothing oh. worse than listening to me running doing a podcast. My podcast is rubbish, and I'm in a studio doing it. So, you yeah, but isn't this amazing? How everyone's. I think the podcasting world. I mean, what it's doing. I think Rob Beckett and Josh Whitcomb don't particularly need the leg up, but their parenting hell podcast has brought them. A whole new audience. See, in your head and my head, you're going, well, Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett don't need that, do they? In their heads, they're looking at an industry, right, where their ability to be known because of doing mainstream TV is dwindling because of streaming services. Uh -huh. They're looking at a younger audience coming in who are not, they're not going to be watching the Royal Variety show. Well, they might over the next for a couple of years, but they're not going to be watching it normally anyway, right? They are looking at podcasts going, if we don't do this, we're not relevant. So it's survival. They, they are, don't get me wrong, they are at the top of their game. They're incredibly successful. And they're Who writes for them? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I, can, I can never tell you that because one of the key things about writing for top people is, is that you never really say who you're exactly. writing for because no one wants to know the fact that they didn't have Bit that stuff written for them. Just forget what I just said. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but no, they're, they're waking up at five in the morning, turning to their partners going, oh, am I relevant? Oh, will I be around in five years? Oh, is this all going to be over? All those fears that, that I had at the entry level of this industry bubble up to the top. I'm very, very good friends with Ramesh Ranganathan. We've been friends for many, many years. He is pretty much A-list in the UK right now. He will... Never turns down a gig. He's well, on everything. Because he's petrified that it will be his last oh, one. Must, I mean, look, I'm petrified. terrified. Every year when I have to sign a new contract, because I pay my rent year on year in Dubai, every year for 18, 19 years now, the month before I pay that money, because it's a lot of money, thirty, forty thousand pounds 40000 a year rent in Dubai, I go into the boss's office and I went, have you any plans to get rid of me? Because if you have, let's do it now. And they just laugh. And I, I was saying this 17 years ago. Look, if you're going to get rid of me, tell me now because I could, this will be a nice nest egg. I've got 30, 40 grand to take home. Mm. Do it today. Don't do it in six months when I've paid me rent. And so I totally know that about the industry and how, you know, you're only as good as your last show and everything can change and people's taste well, change. You, you've at least got a boss who could possibly tell you that you're on your way out. Yeah. Um, I, we don't. We don't. I, I sit there watching the news. I... I, I I don't just watch the news. I look at the price of butter 
and decide whether I'm going to have a career in a year's time. <laughs> I'm serious. Because people have straight choice between butter and comedy. Comedy's great, but it ain't butter, right? And people will buy butter. And if butter's too expensive, they can't afford comedy, I haven't got a career. Do you know, we're about to do simply the best and strangest things. Go on. But I now think I'm going to write, I'm not going to do it now because I don't have time, but I'm going to do a new balancing act of what would you rather between comedy and... Co- comedy and butter. And supermarket products. You go for all of them or something like that. What can people give up at the point? <laughs> no, 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 cabbage is really important. It's got a surprising amount of vitamin C. Cabbage over comedy. Uh, There's something I, I, in it. It's a new podcast. Are you busy? Let's do a new podcast. I think I think slightly out of date radishes or comedy, you'd pick comedy. I think, I Is think that the cut-off? That's the cut-off. What about four-day-old milk? Four-day-old milk. Oh, still comedy. usable. Comedy. Oh, still yeah, but then, usable. Yeah, but someone might be trying to make their own cheese. Uh, you know, so <laughs> you're never 100% sure. Right. Go on. I lost Catboy to Disney. I'm not losing blank or comedy to you. Don't, right, he's go got his four it. in his hand. Don't write that down. All right. Okay, let's do this then. Stephen Grant appearing at the self, self-drive laughter factory uh, between the 17th. What are we on now? So you've already started. This is uh, dated already. You're on Wednesday 21st, Friday 23rd, Saturday 24th. Find out all these dates on thelaughterfactory.com. All these questions written by comedians. You can add yours at the end if you've got one in mind. Uh, so we're doing simply the rest. Best gig you've ever done? Uh, if in the point of view of performance and entertainment, I'm going to have to say something in Dubai, obviously, because I'm... Don't. Sort of... Be honest. All right, then. Um... <laughs> I did a show once at the um, at the British consulate in um, Singapore. Okay, uh, and I thought it was going to be awful, and it was it was so good that people came out to applaud me back to the car park. That's now, so had, good! What I've a had, feeling! I've had, I've had ovations before. I've had encores, but I've never people line up for me to go back to the car. It might be just to to have escort me off the premises. Yeah, I'm Has not one hundred percent sure. Has but he gone? <laughs> he's gone now. <laughs> Bye. But yeah, that was that was probably the best gig I ever had. I can't remember what specifically. It just touched a nerve, and they loved it. To be honest with you, best takeaway you've ever eaten. Um, I there is a. Uh, there is a sushi restaurant in Brighton called Moshimo, and I've travelled the world eating sushi, and I've even been to Forest Asia where you'd think they would nail it, but it's the best. And during lockdown, that they were still doing takeaway, and they didn't deliver to where I live because I live slightly out of the area. So oh. I would drive to a hotel on the outskirts of their delivery area and I'd wait for them and it'd hand over. It would be like one of those Eastern European things when you pass over the details of a, of a spy yeah. or something like that. And I would sort of <laughs> wait in a coat standing there and the guy would turn up. And because it was during COVID as well, they'd put it down on the floor. Yeah. Then I'd go and pick it up from them and then put it in the car. So, it, But it was worth it. It's the best sushi in the world. If you're ever in Sussex, go. Great advert. Best album ever. Music. Um, uh, it, I think when you say best album, it has to be one where every single track is really good. Just your favourite, right? Really, okay, so so for me, it's Joni Mitchell's Blue. That's my favourite album of all time. Whatever comes and goes, I, I always go back to that album. I right. think it's Nirvana, Nevermind, and I'll tell you why. Because mm. two things: first of all, there's no Duff track on that entire yeah, album, yep. and the second reason is is it doesn't sound dated. And when you tell people just how old that album is now, it blows their mind. I think you tell it's someone only came out three now. years ago, didn't it? <laughs> Come on, mate. Don't make me feel old. Catroy's just been defrosted to present this show. <laughs> uh, best Beatle. Best Beatle? Yeah, I've just watched Get Back. I love I love the Beatles anyway. I've got the Beatles Lego mosaics. Best Beatle. Sadly. 
It's the biggest pause you've done in this interview. Well, the problem with it is, is that, I mean, actually, from the point of view of the songs they wrote, I think McCartney edges Lennon. But from the point of view of best Beatle, because you're not giving me a reason for why they would be the best, it has to actually be Lennon. Because he had that combination of challenging people's ideas about what is what a normal person does um, and uh, and being brilliant musically and then also went from this world at a point in which he was imperious. So he died brilliant, you know, like yeah. boxers. Paul McCartney's still doing it, though. I mean, he's... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By saying Lennon's the best, I'm not saying the rest were rubbish. Because I'd like to introduce our special guest today. Yeah. <laughs> Can the you other imagine? thing as well is, by the way, you know you think, when you answer these things, think, oh, is this going to come back to bite me? I, I do play Liverpool from time to time and answering questions like this, I don't know what That's, rubbish, that trouble I'm going to get into the future. Yeah. See, I'm... I've, I've become a McCartney apologist over the years. It used to be, I think when you're younger, it's Lennon, 100%. Mm. Then I went through a George Harrison face because I love George Harrison. Yeah. The Get Back documentary made me love every single one of them even more. I just fell in love with them all over again. But just watching the genius of McCartney. I mean, I know Lennon was in a bit of a state during that. But yeah. Anyway, uh, and also I'm a huge fan of Thomas the Tank Engine. So Ringo Starr. What's not to like? Exactly, yeah. Best city in the world. One word answer. Singapore. Oh, people normally go for their home city. Uh, no, I mean, I, I love I love Brighton and Hove, which has only recently become a city. But the thing about Singapore is, uh, you know, when it sh- when it rains, it's like a hot shower. It's got love a cr- it. It's it's full of technical equipment and skinny women and oppressive <laughs> laws about what not- a sentence that is. It's full of technical equipment and, and skinny women. Technical equipment, skinny women, and oppressive laws. Is that about- on their travel? Brochures? Do you get arrested for not flushing a public toilet? Why doesn't every world have that law? It's brilliant. Who doesn't flush a public toilet? Get them, put them in a. Put them on a in a cage. I almost said a country then, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Best heckle you've ever received that we can air on the radio. And I've got to go for about seven or eight that I can't do. Um, <laughs> At least. Uh, I, I oh god, I can't even do that one really. Um, uh, yeah, okay, fine. So uh, maybe I'll be able to do this. We well, can always get rid of it if you can't do it. Uh, so I did a joke about how people uh, who want relationships are appalling lovers for um for for flings and you know and never have a one night stand with someone who's who wants a long term relationship because what they've done admitted to you is the fact that they'd be an appalling appalling lover. Yeah. And then somebody in the audience shouted out and went, Well that's not what you said to me and it was someone I'd had to fling with. Was actually really somebody you'd had a fling with? Two years ago. I didn't oh my goodness. And I got absolutely floored me because I couldn't say anything back. And then it, it You've just, been great, good night. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well I didn't say that to her. Uh, but anyway I uh, <laughs> Certainly didn't say it to me. Anyway, the upshot of it was it was it was from the point of view of best heckle, as in one that completely silenced me. It was that one. Um, best place to sit and have a think. This is anywhere in the world. Uh, we had who we have in uh, who's the Geordie comic John Fothergill. John Fothergill. John and I did a TV show together back in the early two thousands. And he said it was a park somewhere in Crystal Palace. It's a sculpture park with dinosaurs in it. He just loves sitting there. And that's where he does his thinking. So best place anywhere in the world to sit and have a think. It's a Devil's Dyke in Sussex. It's the it's on the on the top of the South Downs. It's got incredible views. And I normally get there by cycling. Or I'll drive my classic car up there as well. And you just you, and the thing about it is it's an effort to get up there, either cycling or walking. I ran up it as well. Or driving. So when you get out, you're a little bit out of breath. And when you're a little bit out of breath, that's the best time to sit and think. Because you don't want to talk, you don't want to be distracted, you just want to get your breath back, and that's when you think clearest. So that's why I love cycling. I love to hear these. It's always nice. Um, so you've been on a gig, 
you've done that thing, you've come home on the Megabus, you're knackered. Best thing to find in the fridge when you come home after a gig and you're hungry? A Thai chef. So they could put it together for you. I mean, realistically, so he's alive. I, I, yes, he's alive. You've had him he's in your cold. fridge. He's cold. He's not happy. And then he gets out and does it. Yeah. Now, I, I just think if you're going to open the fridge, wouldn't it be great if you can have the entire the chef in there as well to do it for you? No, so I, 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 like, I like Thai the, food. The fridge is actually a restaurant door, is yes, what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> totally dodged the question. Yeah. Best lookalike you've ever been compared to? Um, in the early days, I got Leonardo DiCaprio and Nas from Frasier. Um, Good combo. Yeah, I said put them together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, put them together. That's what I look like. A little bit of Leonardo DiCaprio Nas from Frasier. That was about twenty years ago. Whether that's still the case now, I kind of it must be to some extent because they've got older as well. But I think Leo has steered away from where I am. I am. Yeah, those. So two. you're saying that Leonardo DiCaprio has got worse, whereas you've aged pretty well um, because he has. He has got. I mean, Romeo and Juliet. Leo was a beautiful young man. Yeah. He's filled out a bit. You yes. know, I mean, the girls don't seem to mind. No, I but, mean, the girls always stay the same age, don't they? But what you're, yes, they do with him. But what you're saying is, girls, girls, remember the old Leo, I'm still him. Yeah, though, though to be fair, you know how old I am as well. So that yeah. is clinging onto it with my fingernails. Yeah. At least I get Claire Balding every now and then, which is it's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. What's the name of the b- woman who was, uh, did the X Factor? She was uh, blonde hair. She kind of always used to argue with Simon Cowell. Um, oh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, anyway, there was a woman I got compared to saying that people who asked me if I was not Nina brother. Mishkoff. We're not going no, by that no, far. No, 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 we're not going by that far. Nikki, Nikki. Oh no, she was like a she's a, like a presenter for Saturday evening TV. Amanda Holden. Amanda Holden. Am I, you Amanda, get compared to Amanda Holden. I, I, someone always say that my facially I look like I might be related to Amanda Holden. Not that I look like her, but like I might be related to her. Yeah, I like that. Best days of your life. Um. This is this is actually the most contentious question you've asked me out of everything. Right. Because there was, I'm some, there was something about the first three months of lockdown that I really, really loved. Were you with your kids? Some of it, because they, there was a last minute rule that said we could. There was a, a rule at the beginning that you couldn't go anywhere, including... And I was thinking, well, who's going to bring the children? Because I'm separated from the kids' mum. And I was thinking, well, is one of us going to have them the whole time or not? And then they made an exception that we could do it. So I was with the kids for some of it. But actually, no offence to my children, that wasn't the best bit. Uh, it was because I go out into the countryside and I cycle. And I didn't have to work for once. And it was I worked constantly for over 20 years. And, and, and it took it away from me in a way that nothing else ever could. But it took it from everyone. So I didn't feel like I was missing out. And I had the time to breathe and think. And I'd go for a run. And I couldn't hear anything except for wildlife. I go for cycle. I'd cycle down it was the road, the same here. and I could smell people's cooking through the windows because there was no cars. It was like you can you normally you don't realise how much you're, you're smelling fumes. I could I could tell who was having bacon on the hob or, or who was making a tomato soup over a hundred metres away because there was nobody, nothing. No sounds of planes going overhead. The roads were quiet. Where you know in but Dubai, air, you're listening to air traffic. Air was cleaner was than you've ever had. Insects uh, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, um, well, that's the thing. I went, I went cycling and I almost got killed by a, um, a a deer just just hovering in a hedge and then ran across the road because they were going, well, the cars are gone. We can retake the world. Amazing. That's the second time we've talked about the positive effects of COVID. I mean, how often should there be a pan- pandemic? Uh, it's very pro-COVID. I've been really careful. I did put that up on Twitter again when you get into trouble. No, but I was a sec- because I look. I had to carry. Out, I'm what's known as a frontline worker. Apparently, I had to come in and do my job so I could put the news out there of what Dubai's rules were, make sure everyone was doing. It. So we still got permission to come in. There was nobody here. Only the person who was doing the show was here. So it's a very lonely place to be. But I was still at work every day. Mm. 
But the kids being at home and my wife being at home, it was something really, you know, my son went off to uni just after it. Well, I, I, do, I do radio shows, like sometimes panel radio shows, but sometimes I do them for stations like in the UK, like uh, Talk Sport or Five Live. And those are considered news radio stations. Yeah. And so they kept open. Of course. And of course, the trains need to take people to and from them and hospitals and stuff. So I would get on the train in, in, near Brighton and I would go to London Bridge where t- Talk Sport is. And I get on the train and I would have the carriage to myself. Not just, you know, a seat to myself or mm. a block to myself. The carriage to myself. And I'd get off the train station and people would be surprised to see you. And then I'd walk across London Bridge and it was empty. Like going to the and new, 27 I'd days to, later. And yeah, I'd go into, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're waiting for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and you get into the news building and there's like one person there and they give the mask and there's all things just went off. And you get in the lift and there's nobody there. You get out, there's nobody there, and there's a button saying, please push this. Then someone comes along and he goes, yes, we're recording here. And you're sort of thinking, this is, we'll never have that again in our world. No. Right, this. And yes, don't get me wrong, right? I mean, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people enjoy being at home watching Netflix, but I really enjoyed was doing the things I do all the time, but with nobody there. Yeah. That was incredible. Let's not delve into that. <laughs> <laughs> now, this one uh, was asked by, you know, Tom Elwes, comedian Tom yeah, Elwes? I knew, uh, yeah. Um, best place you ever went swimming? In your life, best place you've ever been. Can't swimming. answer it. Can barely swim. Really? Yeah. Best water you've ever fell in. <laughs> <laughs> best thing I nearly drowned in. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I have uh, the Embarkham Mills as a kid. It's a place in Sussex. It's an actual working mill that's been shut down, but all the water features are still there. So you can actually basically sit in weirs and locks. Oh, I love that. And in amongst water wheels. And, the, and, and you have all of the machinations of 18th century uh, manufacturing that used water to power it, but it's just turned into like a, a, a kind of a, um, a derelict swimming park. And, you know, it's not got towels and, and drinks and stuff like that. It's just in the countryside. And it's all completely overgrown with wildflowers. So did, did, did you see the... Chris Packham did a documentary during lockdown when he went up a river that he used to knock around on when he was a kid. He did a 10-mile walk. I think it's from Eastleigh up to Winchester. And he just walked this river and there was people swimming in the river and obviously he's doing a documentary. They had drones following him up the river and everything. And it just reminded you, I mean, I've been out here a long time, just reminded you how beautiful and you could stumble across these places when you're walking around in Britain. I love that. Yeah. Right. Have you got a best question you'd like to add to the list? I have. And actually, you're going to probably roll your eyes slightly at this, but I'm a huge fan of wordplay. And what I want is the best word that rhymes with best. Best word... This is a great question. That rhymes with best. That rhymes with... I'm gonna, that rhymes. And, and it can be because they like the sound of the word or the meaning behind it or it's got a story behind it, but the best word that rhymes with best. I mean, chest came up straight away. Well, there's a, there's a certain... <laughs> Freudian. <element. laughs> there's a certain carry-on film element to that. I like crest as well. Crest, like a bird's crest. And yeah, that's a great one. Crest is crest good. Crest is good. Yeah. The old toothpaste... You know, memories of her being a child. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say mine, which I think is zest. Zest is great because I like making. I told you I like cooking. Yeah, I said earlier on yeah. something like this, right? And there's nothing I like more than making a lemon cheesecake. I'm, I'm kind of dairy free, and I've got a way of doing it without dairy in it. And then you grate the zest of lemon on the top of it as well, and that little bit beforehand. There you go. Makes me think of that. I'm going to ask you this. I don't need a comedian's joke on the first bit. How anal? Are you going to be about this? Can the words be a long word that ends in est? Or has it got to be the same? It's got to be one syllable word. Oh, no, it can be an entirely long word. I mean, you, so long as you could put it in a poem and best was the next line and it would still work. Okay, so it rises a bit. I think that's a great question. Like, so it could be manifest. 
manifest good as well. Yeah. Don't like it as much. Don't like no, it as much as chest. No, but the thing about manifest is it means <laughs> I think things will, will, will struggle to compete with chest. I mean, I've got another chest one that means the same thing, but I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to okay. strangest things. As you picked up on, I like I come up with the name first and the idea second. Um, isn't it? Uh, what's his name? The, um, Ginger Prince. What's his name? The presenter for years, radio presenter. Chris um, Evans. Presenter, Chris Evans. Ginger said, Prince. I like said, that. He said. He said that the uh, the rule for radio with any good idea is come up with a great name first and then come up with the idea yeah. to fit it second. Okay. So my daughter's watching Strangest th- Stranger Things. I thought Catboy Strangest Things. I'll interview people about strange things. So yeah. it's a bit like Simply the Best, but strange. Yeah. Question number one, strangest place you've ever done a gig? Um, uh, in a prison. Um, Johnny Cash style? No, 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 no. no a deserted prison. Uh, the, um, oh, in a deserted prison? prison. Yeah, and in, it, uh, it was the vaults underneath a town hall. It was the original town prison, 19th century prison. But you'd think, oh, it's going to be like one of these little things where you can go around like a museum. It wasn't. It was just deserted. Where was this? This was in Arundel. All right. Uh, strangest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, Chef out of your fridge. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go completely. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here with like eyeballs and, and, and things right. like that. But actually, I, um, you know, the gelatin things that you put in, you you dissolve in jellies, yeah. You know, uh, no, the, the the gelatin sheets, the sheet that you that you put in, highly concentrated. Yeah, that you put into, you know, to make a um, creme brulee, so like, to, yeah. to firm things up, all the rest uh-huh. of it. Well, I wanted to. I was hungry and I wanted to make a jelly, and I had the gelatin sheets. And I thought, well, why don't I cook that in with like, with like sugar and fruit squash, and try and make my own jelly using gelatin? Okay. Well, if you're, anyone's ever thinking of doing this, don't. Um, they're not. They're what's known as immiscible. They will never dissolve. So I ate a bowl of gelatin sheets with a little, small surface of dried out fruit squash. That was the big that was question my here. Is I mean, you ate it. First spoonful. I was hungry. First spoonful. This is not right. I'll put it in the bin. Dessert and, <laughs> dessert and coffee come under two headings. They're food that you you would be very precious about it being good or bad, but you still eat it anyway. You're not but wasting how it. Many, how many people will go to a hotel or something? They will ask for a coffee. And they'll bring a coffee, and because they've been spoiled with Starbucks and yeah. you know proper sort of coffee all their years, they'll go. This is absolutely horrible. Watch how many people then not drink it. Mm. They all still drink it because it's what like sugar, like caffeine, are one of those things that we started to realise we can only function with it in us. So actually, dessert has to be near appalling for you to push it away. Every now and then when I have gone through one of them phases where I've just paid the school fees in Dubai and I'm broke and I said to my wife, we're not doing posh coffees anymore. There was nothing wrong with instant back in my day. And then you buy instant and it's like licking a petrol forecourt. It's absolutely disgusting. But you still and drink I still it. finish it. Of course you do, because you need it. I might put 48 sweeteners in, <laughs> but I still finish it. Strangest place you've ever woken up? Um, so I have woken up on the floor of a plane. Um, like BA? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't know where I was. I was petrified. I did, I'd taken a um, a sleeping pill, and, and not, a, not yeah. a pharmacological one, but one of these sort of herbal ones, uh-huh. and it clearly worked. I'd have been on a flight where it was quite quiet, and I was right, lying across three seats in that great thing yeah. when you're in, in economy, but suddenly you get three seats. This is better than being in Bonus. business. Exactly. And uh, normally they look out for you, and I thought I'd put a seatbelt over my waist or something like that, but obviously I hadn't done it. And I'd rolled off, and then I'd rolled under the seats. 
uh, and I hadn't woken up for any of it. And then I woke up staring at the metal strut that holds up the chair oh, across God. my face. And I thought, I thought because I was bewildered and jet lagged and the groggy from the effects of having a sort of sleeping medication that for some reason, and, and in my head this was completely normal, that I'd somehow been put in the hold instead of the cabin. Because, so because, because, because the I, I, I thought I was in with the luggage <laughs> because I was just, because it was pitch black. Right, so I think I had still had the eye blinds on slightly, whatever. But I mean, or, or for whatever reason, or at least I, the light hadn't got through to me yet, and I could see the big metal thing that holds up the seat. And I thought, I'm in the, I'm in the cargo hold. Uh-huh. And I thought, I can't scream. I'm going to be able to text. But can I, and I was thinking, someone else has got Bluetooth. Can I contact them and say I'm in the hold? I, I, there was a minute of panic before I realised I'd just fallen off and and, sl- and and rolled underneath the seats. Oh, actually, I've got a, a joint equal one for that as well. Go on. Uh, and that's actually, and it's going to sound like the weirdest, the least weird place ever you've uh, woken up. But it's actually going to be in my bedroom at home when I was 19. But I'll tell you what happened was I woke up and it was pitch black. I thought I must have woken up in the middle of the night. And I used to have a, a, an attic room. Right, okay. It's absolutely pitch black. And so I thought, what's going on? I swear it should be light by now. So I went and opened the window. Um, and you know, I think whether you call them Veluxes or Veluxes or whatever, I had a Velux yeah. window. But it had been snowing overnight. I didn't realise snow. And it completely covered the window. So it was pitch black, no light could get in. And I opened it up and oh. I saw nothing but a complete vista of snow and going from pitch black to complete white. It's the only time in my life I've fainted. It's like snow blindness. No, totally... I've got snow blindness and I, and I fainted. So I fainted in my own bedroom from opening the window once. So I don't know if that's the strangest place I've ever woken but up. But I love that. I strangest mean, waking experience, I think. You didn't go the comedy route of I, I opened it and all the snow fell on me like you would in a Laurel and Hardy film. No, no, no. It kind of it stuck to it because that's the thing. It was, it, but it was like a good four inches of snow, which is why no, no light. Oh, I miss that. Okay. I miss it so much. Strangest celebrity you've ever met. As in, as in, whatever. Strange you, to meet them or, or, or okay, right. whatever you interpret it as. Um, okay, okay, so. I'm going to have to avoid anybody from the world of comedy because I might bump into them I again. can say one. Go on. Shall I? Yeah, go on. Omid Jalili. Strange. Do you find I've strange? loved that guy for years. Well, not strange, but when he came in to do the interview, this is many years ago when he came out here, he, and he was on Richard Herring not long ago and he sounded exactly the same. He is constantly trying to do his act. And I'm like, mate, you you don't have to be. You don't have to do your jokes. Let's have a chat. <laughs> Interesting. Do you know when someone's overdoing the patter? I don't know. Because, because we're all insecure deep down inside. We yeah. think all the people like is our actual act and they don't like us. Um, so, strangest celebrity I've ever met. Um, I don't know whether you would count them as a... I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> celebrity. Um, Dale Winton. You don't know if I'd count Dale Winton as a celebrity. The man's a god. Um I can't go in a supermarket without thinking of Dale Winter. I had a T-shirt that said, Dale says go wild in the aisles. All and right. I still miss that T-shirt. Okay. So I uh, I work... Be ca- tread carefully here, because I know you, you've followed all the Dubai rules for radio. Just tread very carefully. Now you're on Catboy rules. Um... <laughs> And so when I was... Big friend of Silla Blacks. Okay, well, there you go. And, 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 and I believe neither of them are, st- are with us anymore. No, they're not, so you can say what you like. And well, you can, well, they say don't speak ill of the dead, but they're the only ones who don't get back to you afterwards upset about it. <laughs> sorry, Omid. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but Dale... Um, so, uh, yeah, so I worked with him on a, a TV show. I was doing the warm-up again called I'm the Answer. Okay. And uh, first of all, as... That didn't last long, did it? I remember it. it. And tell you why it didn't last long. Because there was a fundamental flaw in the actual game. There was a 
a, a, a hole in the logic of it that allowed you to cheat. Right. And after about eight episodes of people walking away with the full jackpot, they went, this isn't right. So mm. they had to knock it on the head. So like, there was, it, was, it was flooring them. They must have spent half a million on the first ten shows. Almost like, like they'd done Who Wants to Be a Millionaire by answering C. Yeah, exactly. Well, this, <laughs> this is it. This is it. So it was, it was that out there. And um, he... Uh, God, it's difficult to explain how, it, how he was difficult, uh, how he was strange. But, but what it was was that he wanted the studio ice cold. And I mean properly ice cold. And if yeah. anyone's ever worked in television, they'll tell you this about Dale Winton. Oh, yeah, 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 very cold. So he was, we were recording the show, and then for the second week, they moved it into the BBC TV Studio 4, which is one of the bigger rooms where they do, uh, have I got news for you, and uh, they think it's all over, and, and, and a few others even done Question Time there as well in the past, before it sort of went out on the road. And, and it, it, it's really hard to get it cold. Yeah. So he said, no, 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 we're going to do this in Studio 6. And he said, we can't move it. It's going to record it for the day. So all right then. So he got them to bring all the curtains in and everything to make the room smaller and brought in, he had his own air conditioning units to get it cold. And you should see the audience. They're in coats and hats and gloves. You know, and this, is, this was in like October. It's a great answer. And, and, um, and I mentioned this while I'm doing TV warm-up for another show uh, one called Eyes Down with uh, Paul O'Grady, also no longer with us as well, you know, who did Lily Savage. It's no, he's still alive. He's still alive. He's no longer with Radio 2 in the UK, but maybe he's still he's, with maybe us. Maybe he's just dead to the world of uh, network, tele- <laughs> network radio. Anyway, Paul O'Grady. Anyway, and he was he was a bingo. It was a sitcom in which he was a bingo announcer. Shock of my life then, because I thought, have I not read news? <laughs> and I did it, and I was talking about it. You're right, actually, I apologise. I've, <laughs> I've, I've steal a march on that. By the way, if he, he ends up that he's died in the next few days and all the rest of it, and it hasn't been covered between. Out. Yeah, it's going to say, please do that, because I'm not, I'm not one of the apocalypse <laughs> anyway and he uh, and I, I was telling the story to the audience there about he has the audience uh, he said he said he has the the room as, as cold as possible and Paul O'Grady walked behind me and just told the audience and that's to hide the fact that he's already died oh said that to the audience <laughs> anyway slightly frightening um, but yeah no he was yeah it's uh, the, he he um, he has the studio near zero. Could have been a two-word answer. If you, if I'd have said strangest celebrity ever met, you went Dale Winton. I could have just gone move on. Should you ask that to say Dale Winton and get rid of all the rest? <laughs> the explanation of it, yeah. wasn't necessary, but it was a great story. Final one: strangest perk you've ever had from being a comedian. What's been the strangest perk? Not the best. Not like oh, I got some gold from somebody or a uh-huh. strangest th- perk you've ever had. Uh, so I, um, I mentioned the fact that I'm a keen cyclist. I had a huge crash about four or five years ago. Um, I uh, exploded my collarbone. And um, as ever with comedians, you have to be near death to not perform because all you're doing is getting up the stage and talking. So, And we it, laid there on the side of the road going, content, hashtag con- content. content. Right, absolutely right. I mean, there's me lying there. I mean, I do have a routine about it. Of course you would do. <laughs> I mean, I've even, got, I've even got a funny tattoo to go on my scar to show people what happened. I'll show you now. Here we go. So that is me on my bike going down my scar. I love Coming that. off the handlebars. That's my only tattoo. That's great. So I've got a tattoo that describes how I had the accident. You're going to do that for every major yeah, incident? Yeah, every near-death situation has to... <laughs> which is the thing, is I almost burnt my hand off taking a frittata out the oven without an oven glove once, and I don't think that would make for a great tattoo. <laughs> but the... Uh, but So, so I, a week after this... Uh, you know, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a sling and I'm on stage talking about you know the fact that I'm you know I've got in the sling and I can't um, I can't cycle because I can't hold the handlebars you know so I'm gutted about it yeah and and um, 
and somebody in the audience heard about this and and uh and they they sent me a message on on facebook messenger and they said look can you i've got something i think will help you out where do you live i'll drop it around i'm like i don't give my address always weird and i said well can you just take it to the club and i'll pick it up he goes no this, this is heavy and i went do you know what fine yep okay here's my address so this guy never met before turned up with a full turbo trainer yeah, so thing for attaching your bicycle to the rest of it with all the mount and the stand and all the rest of it, and he said you can you can cycle this, and he gave me he gave me a turbo trainer. So uh, so I used a, a TRX, which is one of those sort of like these big hooks in the wall, and attached a, a series of ropes around me to hold me upright because I couldn't hold the yeah, handlebars. And then for three weeks afterwards, I would cycle on this this thing that was given. So that was just me doing a routine about crashing my bike. This guy got me back on the road. Lovely, great perk. Yeah, great, tremendous. Perk. Have you got a strangest thing you want to add? Um, yeah, I think so. Let's try it. All right, okay then. Um, I had a few ideas, but now that I've heard my own answers to these, I feel I need to upgrade it. Does, so doesn't matter, doesn't okay. matter. The best one was a good one. I like the rhyming best. Uh, okay, so I think it will be the strangest thing your parents told you was true. Do you know what? I did a radio feature on this in Newcastle years ago when I worked there. I think I got about three and a half weeks out of it. It was one of the best things. A woman, a woman, it was phoned in back then, it was pretext. And she said her granddad told her they had red velvet curtains and her granddad said they were made out of cow's tongs, which is a bizarre thing for a granddad to say. So this is it. We've all been told an, an absolutely insane thing by our parents yeah. at some point that because they were our parents, we did nothing but accept the fact that that yeah. was true. Why would they lie? Exactly. So I would say the strangest thing that you were told was true by your parents. I think that's a fantastic one to add in. Right, I love good. that. I Have you missed any shows while you've been in here? Because we've been talking for a heck of a long time. Possibly. It's brilliant. You never know with these things. You know, sometimes you come in and you think, if I get 10 minutes out of this, I'll be happy. Yeah. You know. Duncan's been asleep for 45 minutes in the corner there. I don't know, actually. Yeah, you've turned, I don't know, you've turned the aircon down to Dow Winton levels. I don't I think really, you can cope really with it. I really enjoyed it listening to you. Well, do, do you know, I have it. I mean, I have to have it cold in here to keep the equipment. Mm. If we put it up to a room temperature, the equipment can overheat and we go off air, which for some of our listeners would be a joy. Um, the backup tape's much better than me. But I have it so... I have it about 16 degrees in here. 16, yeah. Is that Dale levels? No, it's that would still be considered a sauna for Dale, but it's still quite. Thankfully, it's still leather jacket off. Can I just say this about Dubai? As someone who's been coming here for ten years, and you've been asking me about the audience is different. Let me tell you what I think is mostly changed about Dubai. You finally stopped having this almost inconceivable competition with each other to see who can get their aircon the lowest. It's just there was a time when you would walk off the street into a building. And like, I mean, I remember the first time I came to Dubai, I thought, well, I'm not going to bring, I don't need to bring a jumper or a cardigan. God, I regretted that. Yeah. Maybe same places shivering. Yeah. And then we're just going, look how good our air conditioning is. I get it. You've got air con. You don't have to set it to the minimum level. It will be this sort of kind of this competition for how cold you could get your building. I think a little bit of the energy crisis and also a sense of if you like, global responsibility to do with energy use has meant that it's crept back up to what I consider to be human levels. But my word, was it cold here 10 years ago? I have ago. a jacket that I keep in the car. When I yes. moved here yeah. and got offered the job, I knew nothing about the place. Mm-hmm. Nothing about I googled it. It's the early days of the internet. I googled it. It's in the Middle East. It's in the desert. That's all I knew. I threw away all my winter clothes. I came out here in cargo shorts, a bag full of cargo shorts and T-shirts. I'll never need them again. Boy, was I wrong. 
<laughs> Absolutely. One of the biggest mistakes I've made. You know, for indoors, by the way, not for outdoors. But even when you get in a cab, you sort of get in the back of it and you're like, kind of, you're trying to tell them the destination, your teeth are chattering. <laughs> Don't waste this. This is good stuff for the. So the gigs are coming up. Self self drive. I'm going to get this right one day. The self drive. Well, you changed the name. The self drive laughter factory. These are the gigs throughout September. You've done a few. Uh, Wednesday 21st, Friday 23rd, Saturday 24th. Various places playing at uh, the last ones right across the road from my house at Studio One Hotel. Mate, Stephen, it's, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you. It's been great. I genuinely. I've got a show to do in 10 minutes. Oh, no! I'm sorry! <laughs> but it's been such a great chat, I could have talked for hours. Because I think if I kept you talking long enough, you could be quite indiscreet about some comedians. I think if I kept you going long enough, <laughs> oh, we no, could have got there. Uh, do you reckon? I, I, I don't think Stephen would be, no. No? I, I, the thing about it is I give, off an air, I give off an air of peering behind the curtain, but also shooting myself in the foot is something I did very early on in my career and so I've learnt when to stop Yeah, you just find there always be some kind of turbulence in my delivery at some point I want to say this <laughs> hand on heart so far for the Catboy Talks Funny Podcast you have been You're and I don't say that to anybody else. I've loved this chat. It's been brilliant. Don't <laughs> have, get you got, have you got a separate sting for when someone's average or just above average? Got a could I do is uh, <laughs> if you're really good. Record breaker. Oh my word! That could be one of your tweets, of course. The record break on. I don't know what I could get. I'll give you a. <laughs> that's a bad one. Yeah, I've probably got something. Oh, here we are. This one. If you'd been average. Oh, okay, we get a party whistle. That's known in my files as crap party whistle. <laughs> We've all been to them. Uh, Stephen Grant, appearing at the Laughter Factory. Do go and see him. Do get out to the Laughter Factory anyway. It's Dubai's best comedy night by a long chalk. Mate, it's been wonderful. Yeah, uh, at Stephen C. Grant on Twitter as well. Yeah, be, be careful because once you're on there, if you read something you don't like... No, feel free to tell me when I'm wrong. Everybody else does. Don't be part of the party. <laughs> Don't, don't be a visitor, be an involver. Thanks for coming in, ma'am. No worries. Catboy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast.